Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to In Violence, a podcast where we explore how faith and health, both physical and mental, intertwine in our daily lives and how we can finally find balance as Muslims. I hope you are all doing well. Inshallah, welcome to a new episode of In Balance. Um, I think I need to apologize. I feel like I repeat myself a lot and that all my intros sound alike. Um, is it how being almost 30 sounds like and looks like? <laughs> I, I always say this when I feel like I'm repeating myself. I, I think I'm getting old. But I'm still very young, alhamdulillah. Um, anyway, I'm rambling. But today's episode, you guys, I have to say that this episode is one of the ones that I thought about first. That was a topic that motivated me to create this podcast because it is a topic that is not covered enough in our community. And today, to speak quite frankly, we are going to talk about sex. Um <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds weird to say it like this, but it is the topic of today's episode. We are going to talk about sexual health and more specifically about sexual desires as single Muslims. For this episode, I am joined by the wonderful Samira Qureshi, who you might know on Instagram as Sexual Health for Muslims. I came across her account a few years ago now, it was at the beginning of the Mizan, and I was so pleasantly surprised and happy to see that a woman, a Muslim woman, was dedicating her social platforms to talk about this very important topic. And you guys know the goal of the podcast is to inspire you and motivate you to take care of every aspect of your health. And when I came up with the idea of this episode, I told myself, Alhamdulillah, I am lucky enough to have grown up in a home where this wasn't taboo. And I am educated on this topic. But from everything that I've seen ever since I created my page, I realized that this isn't the case of many women who feel a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of ignorance regarding this topic. So I'm hoping, inshallah, that this incredibly insightful conversation will, as usual, teach you something valuable that you can implement in your daily life, make you realize that you are not alone in this, and in that specific case, that it is completely okay for you to want to educate yourself on the topic of sexual health. Okay, assalamu alaikum, Samira. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? Awaikum salam, Asi. Alhamdulillah. I'm I'm doing really well and I'm glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm good, alhamdulillah. I was so excited when you accepted to do this episode with me because we talked a little bit before, but I have been following you for so, so long. I think you've, you're one of the first accounts I, I followed with my own account because 
you are doing something that I don't see anyone else doing. And so I knew when I, I thought about this podcast that I wanted to do an episode with you. So thank you so much for being here. Alhamdulillah. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling honored to be here and I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation together. <laughs> inshallah, inshallah. So to start the episode, as usual, I suggest you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what is your job and your mission. Yeah, sure. So Samira <laughs> Qureshi. Um, I am an occupational therapist by background, and I will say that I didn't plan to enter into the field of sexual health. It, I think it was Allah who definitely led me there. Um, I started working in uh, Islamic schools and the Muslim community up in Canada, where I'm from, and was assigned to address mental health with Muslim kids and families. And we know mental health is taboo as much as sexual health is. So from there, I started going into child abuse education and then into more work with adults. And right now, what you're seeing with sexual health for Muslims is a 16-year journey of me trying to incorporate Islam into sexual health work. And I realized we can't do that. We have to start with Islam and Islamic psychology. So My mission is to center Islamic traditions of the soul to address sexual health for Muslims. So reviving Islamic tradition and not starting with sexual health and adding Islam into it. That's amazing. I That's the one thing that was so impressive for me when I first came across your account is that it was the first time that I was seeing someone crossing the topic of Islam and sexuality in general. Um, the topic of today's episode is sexual desires as single women. And the reason why I really wanted to have an episode on uh, an episode on this topic is because I receive many messages of women not knowing how to deal with this and is it normal or not? A lot of questions. So I thought, we have to we have to answer those questions i suggest we start with the basic what does islam say about sexual desire mm -hmm. yeah that's a good question to start with so interestingly when we're looking at quranic scripture about the soul uh, the quran does talk about these three levels of the soul that we as muslims are really trying to journey through during our time in the dunya in the world And in the first, the lowest level of the soul, which is the nafs al-amara, or the soul that commands to harm or evil, um, that is really where we learn about this idea of shahwa, or lust, passion, or let's call it sexual desire. So we can say then that sexual desire is a very normal, God-given, God-created part of our soul, and that its presence is not bad or wrong it's what we do with it it's what we act on um, and what we do with our sexual desire so it's really important that we start with this question of you know what does islam say because we need to normalize the fact that having experiencing going up and down with our sexual desire is normal that's part of our soul that's not what the issue is The issue is what we do with those feelings when we're single. That is something that um, I always answer when 
some sisters reach out and they feel super lost on what to do. And I always say, if you're you're feeling this way, it is completely normal. But what is going to determine the um, how do I say that? How can I put this? Like if this is wrong or not is what you do with it. And I love that you are mentioning that to start with. Um, I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions around the topic of sexual desires and anything related to sexual health in general when it comes to being Muslim. Um, in our community, it's a topic, as far as I can remember, it's always been covered by men, for men, always through the topics of masturbation, pornography, which is a, um, an issue within the Muslim men community. But do you have an idea of where all those misunderstandings come from? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a few reasons. The first is we as Muslim women and even Muslim men, right, both of both genders, um, we're not learning about Islam properly and we're not learning at all about sexual health. So it's not only that we're not learning about it combined, but what we learn about Islam and what we learn about sexual health separately are usually wrong, or they are very simple, overly simplified, and they don't get into the details because they don't center the spiritual journey of us as Muslims. So for example, you know, you said the issue is what we do with our sexual desire. And it's not just about religious rulings and let's say premarital sex, like That's what Muslims tend to focus on too much. Yeah. Is this is wrong and haram. And so we're always talking about the what. And what I find in my work is we're not talking about the how and the why. Like, how do we get to that goal of centering spiritual development over fulfilling our sexual desires when we're single? So ultimately, it's not just about right, wrong, haram, halal. It's about how can we center our spiritual development so that we don't act on sexual desire, which can then hinder and slow down our spiritual development, which is what our goal is in the short time that we have here in the world. Well, subhanAllah, what you just said, also, I feel like also applies in pretty much every area of our lives. It's something that I really noticed and I think also kind of motivated me to create my page is that I felt like we needed to dig deeper into things and understanding them rather than just, you know, taking it all in and and then freaking out because we we don't un we simply don't understand it. And I just love that you that you mentioned it. Um do you feel like one of the reasons behind all of this is because we live in a world that um you know, sex is very democratized, even within the Muslim community. Mm. We're exposed to a lot of fitna and everything. So do you feel like all our sexual desires are, um, we feel them stronger and deeper than maybe past generations? Mm. And if so, in what ways? So I, I think it is a large factor if we look at the modern world that we live in. It's very different than what life was, let's say, 10 years ago. Or let's say 100, 200 years ago, right? So I 100% agree. Look at what we're exposed to online. Look at how young children are having access to technology. Yeah. And we know that most kids by the age of eight will have accidental exposure to pornography. 
And we know that our Sunday schools and our Islamic schools, having worked in them, they're not really addressing this topic. The other missing piece, though, that I think we need to talk about is when I look at, for example, Imam al-Ghazali's writings from, I think he's 11th century, right? So let's go back all of those years. He wrote very strongly about how to manage and control sexual desire. He was so strong in his writing and made it sound like it was one of the most important things that we as Muslims need to really focus on. So then I think about the fact that maybe in that context, right, 11th century Ghazali times, it was still a struggle. It's always been a struggle, but it was a struggle in their context, right, in their world and in the traditional world. So we're still struggling with it now. I think the context of us as Muslims in 2024 is different. I still think the struggle is still the same, maybe more challenging now because, I mean, look at the state of the Ummah and look at what we're facing. But then I think I'm like, okay, they dealt with it too. Like we're not the only Muslim generation who's struggling with this topic. That is so true. And I remember the first time um, we talked together, I told you that one of the Ish, the main challenge that I'm facing as a Muslimah that holds her faith very close to her heart and lives in a Western country is that I'm having a hard time meeting Muslim men that understand the fact that I want to preserve myself for marriage. And they'll, some of them, I, I'm not, I can't even blame them because, as you said, the context is, mm-hmm. it makes it hard. But some of them, they're like, oh, you you still do that? Like, you actually do that? Like, how do you manage mm-hmm. to do it? And for me, it's, I'm not going to say, and I've been honest about this on the account as well, it is difficult. It is very difficult. And even more so when you're exposed to mm-hmm. people, even within your community, that are struggling and they they give in, like, they, they, yeah. they do it. So it's like, oh, okay. Now I, alhamdulillah, I... I'm 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 trying to remain as strong as possible but to anyone listening right now don't worry like you're not alone and as you can see this is something that has always been around I didn't know this thing about El Ghazali subhanallah mm-hmm. yeah the if you read his books I think it's um uh disciplining the soul and uh breaking the two desires just the the strength with which he writes like the urgency and how he centers the importance. And and I think one thing to add on to what you said, because Muslims are struggling, we have to realize there's reasons why, like you said. I don't think many of us know how to hold ourselves accountable and how to discipline our souls and purify our souls and what this idea of a greater jihad and inner struggle means. So again, it's it's like we all know what the what an ideal is, but we have lost the essence of Islam, which is this idea of ihsan and purification. Yes. And so we don't have the tools to get to that endpoint. So when I meet with Muslims who are struggling in sessions about premarital sex and they don't want to engage in illicit acts, it, I'm focused on let's understand like why this is happening. And then the goal will, inshallah, you'll get there. But there are reasons why. And I think being compassionate, like you said, and then also Muslims listening, we're each accountable to do our own work. And so it just means if you're struggling with sexual desire, 
it just means that the type of inner work you're doing might need to change and and it's very and it's doable inshallah inshallah and this is something that i feel like some people are struggling with like accepting that introspection and challenging yourself and and your nerves is mm-hmm. it, obviously it's hard but it is so essential for us to grow as muslims and to be closer to allah and i know that when i was younger I would always have those ideas like I I knew that premarital sex was haram and I wouldn't do it but in the back of my mind I was like how am I going to marry someone that I've never been intimate with before and I had all those questions mm-hmm. and subhanallah the moment I started to really like challenge this and educate myself but not just like watch some people say it's haram but actually understand why Allah protected protected us from this. SubhanAllah, He completely changed mm-hmm. my vision and it actually made it so much easier. SubhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. That's a, that's a very good reflection that you're sharing. That'll be helpful for people listening, I think. Inshallah, inshallah. So the most common question that I receive is that, is it normal for me as a single Muslimah to feel sexual desires? I would love to know what's the cause mm-hmm. of this yeah so um yes it is normal as a single muslim woman to feel sexual desire because it's a part of our soul and same for single muslim men right we're go- we're going to feel sexual desire now the causes are really interesting because if you were to ask the average muslim on the street why do you think sexual desire sometimes gets too high they might say, well, it's because you're exposing yourself to things that cause your desire to go up. So, you know, maybe you're looking at things or watching movies or listening to music that's explicit. So that's why. So we have a very simple behavioral explanation that I don't think is fully the, the concern. So if I think back to sessions I've had with clients, um, there are many reasons why we can struggle. Number one, trauma. And we don't actually talk about this, but a lot of Muslims have experienced trauma growing up, whether it's seeing their parents in in difficult situations, whether they've been abused themselves, whether it's the community, whether it's someone they were getting to know for marriage and they were spiritually abused or sexually abused or physically. So trauma overall impacts the soul and it's going to impact sexual desire. So for example, I see connections between trauma and pornography use. We don't talk about that as Muslims. We just talk about pornography, right? So that's number one is trauma. Number two is, I think, lifestyle. So I don't just mean what you're exposing yourself to, but Ghazali talks about our stomach and our genitals having a very close connection. So for example, what, what are we putting into our mouths? Like what are the types of food that we're eating? How much? Are we able to restrain ourselves with food that may not be helpful for us? Because everything we eat affects everything else, right? Including the soul. Um, And I think the other lifestyle factor is we're oftentimes on our devices. We're sitting, we're not moving, we're not out in nature. We're not exercising, we're not breathing fresh air. We are on social media and we're just automatically like zombies just consuming things and even though we may not be consuming pornography our soul is very subtle with what it picks up and so after a while it could be that boredom for example loneliness isolation 
low self-esteem and confidence, anxiety and anger, for example, emotions that are not sexual can lead to increases in sexual desire. And then we tend to turn to pornography or masturbation to soothe ourselves. So it's a self-soothing coping mechanism for emotional issues that are not sexual in nature. So the, I think just some of these factors are very important for us to think about. So when we're asking, you know, oh, sometimes I do feel my sexual desire go up. Let me actually think about what I was doing in the last week. Why could it have gone up? So then we're looking at lifestyle um, and then asking ourselves about our past and also what we're doing now and where am I learning about sexual health? So if people are accessing pornography, that's going to increase sexual desire. So I think all of that will hopefully give Muslims some ideas about why your sexual desire might be increasing. Yeah, I when you were talking about this, but you mentioned it, subhanAllah, it was the fact that um, when I opened the question box, I was surprised that the most commonly asked question was, well, one of them was, um, how do I deal with masturbation as a Muslim woman? And that there's so much shame around it because that's a topic that is mainly addressed again, by men, for men. And I always say that the thing with masturbation is that from educating myself on it and, and learning about when, especially when I was preparing this episode, is that it gives you that instant reward and that rush of dopamine mm -hmm. like a drug would. And so whenever you are experiencing something, you might go to that or pornography to like relieve the stress that you're experiencing and mm -hmm. at the same time even if you don't do masturbation and or any of this you still need to be mindful as you said of what you're experiencing in your daily life but also like build a connection with your own body because obviously as women we have cycles <laughs> and this is mm -hmm. also going to act on the way you feel and and your desire and yeah. that is something again that we don't see a lot of education on because i'm not mm -hmm. sure why i this is something I, sometimes i tell myself we need to learn these things at school honestly because it's mm -hmm. just so important mm -hmm. not not even so much about how to um manage your relationships but just to understand your body and and understand what is going on and why you're feeling this way um is it um yeah. is it something that you also feel like a lot of your clients talk about like um mention a lot this problem with masturbation and everything I've, i'm asking this question for the girls listening who needs reassurance on this topic yeah i i do receive um and have worked with clients who are not wanting to masturbate right as a like they see it as a coping yeah. mechanism and they're women And I actually did an episode, um, a video on this with Tariq El Ghori, I think a year and a half ago. And that was one of our most popular videos. I mean, it's only six or seven minutes long, but I, I always mention it because he brings in the thick and the scholarly aspect, which is very important. Um, and so I would recommend people look at that video for that aspect. And, and you're right. Women are confused and in terms of the rulings, but also how not to masturbate. And unfortunately, what's happened with Islamic education, and there's a lot of reasons why, is we are disconnected from our body. And when we do talk about the body, it's only about ghusl, right? So when menstruation ends and when it begins, what do you do? What do you not do? Yeah. Like, it's just so 
religious rulings focused and five pillar Muslim Islam focused that we lose what the essence is that we actually need. So for a lot of reasons, it's like the body is seen as this thing. And, you know, that area of our body, we don't really need till we're married. So just deal with your menstrual cycle, you know, wash up <laughs> so that you can pray and fast again and yes, have sex. So yeah, and have sex with your husband again, but nothing else really matters. But like you said, sexual desire actually right before ovulation can increase because the body has released an egg and it's kind of getting ready to want to yeah. reproduce. So if we don't even normalize, you know, the six or seven days in a cycle where you're going to feel more desire than usual, whether you're single or married, it's it's normal. So, yeah, I, I think we need to stop getting rid of the body conversation and just normalize it. I mean, Allah gave us our bodies our whole lives and we have to take care of it. It's an obligation. Yeah, that's what I always say. I feel like a lot of people would would therefore understand why I wanted to do this episode is that the body is as you said it's an emana from Allah we need to take care of it and I actually mm -hmm. did a video about this topic on my French TikTok where I was saying you know that there's nothing wrong with going to see a gynecologist even if you're not married and do mm -hmm. some checkups and it's all completely fine because it's part of your body and I it made me laugh but I love that you said It, we act like that's something that we are going to start to take care of once we're married. And it's just, it's such a, a weird yeah. thought, subhanAllah, when I, I never thought about mm -hmm. this before, but that is so true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's something, a pattern that I've noticed so much and I, it needs to be broken. Yeah, subhanAllah. But that, that ties perfectly with my next question. Um, that shows how Muslim women in general, like, education on this topic and we see most of them feeling guilty even when they talk about it to mm -hmm. their closest friends it's like such a it has become such a taboo topic i understand that there are certain things that you don't want to share with people but mm -hmm. there also shouldn't be so much taboo around it how do you feel um this is impacting them before and during mm. marriage? So I think it's important to talk about guilt and then shame, because I think a lot of Muslim women also feel shame. So guilt is when Muslim women will feel like they're doing something wrong by talking about, let's say, sexual health before marriage or sexual desire. Shame is when they think that they themselves are bad or unworthy or not right when they have sexual desire or talk about sexual desire. So guilt is a little easier to work with because it's, we can say, well, you're not doing anything wrong. So therefore like, it's okay. Shame, I think is where it gets tricky. Um, so for Muslim women who may experience shame with their bodies and sexual desire, it's going to disconnect you from a lot. It's going to disconnect you from learning about your body, thinking it's right to learn about it. It's going to not allow you to gain the language to talk about your body. So I have women who say things like it or that. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Can you say the body part? Can you say sexual desire? Can you say masturbation? Can you say sex? So even us not using the words is a form of shame. Because remember, our intention is that Allah created our bodies and we're trying to live in an Allah-centered way. Yeah. So we don't talk about it, then we also don't know where to go when we have issues. And if we can't do all of that, just for us as women, forget marriage for a second. If we are not comfortable with our bodies as single Muslim women, how on earth are we going to experience pleasurable sexual intimacy in marriage? 
And how are we going to also then shift our reproductive health care when we're married, right? So if you can't feel comfortable yourself, you are going to struggle with intimacy in marriage. And I see this so much, right? And I wish I could take women back in time to when they were single. But literally, like you said, puberty is the time that you start increasing your knowledge of this topic area because you are now accountable to Allah. So you need to increase your awareness and education. So I think it can impact intimacy. It impacts relationships. So spouses are not talking to each other about this topic. Um, If someone's experienced trauma, you can imagine then intimacy is even more challenging. So it impacts... Not to make it sound like a horrible thing, but it does <laughs> impact so much because I see it in therapy sessions. I see how much struggle women and couples go through. So we need to think about the single phase as being yours, like embody it and really take advantage of this time for you. And you're not doing it for your future husband. You're doing it for you and Allah first. It's It made me think of a conversation I had with one of my friends who is Christian and he was so surprised to learn that desires and having sexual sexual relationships with your partner just for the sake of pleasure was allowed in Islam and I thought you're not mm-hmm. even Muslims and you have this misconception if you're in your mind I can't mm-hmm. imagine the state of some people in our ummah and when I sometimes get DMs from sisters who are soon to be married and they are freaking out about their first night with their spouse. I'm thinking this is this is actually kind of sad because that's something you should be excited about, especially if you got, you know, to actually get to know your future husband and hopefully you found him attractive and everything. It's kind of sad to think that mm-hmm. you are picturing your first night as something you are scared about that obviously this is most likely the unknown and we're all stressed about the unknown, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's not so much about the unknown anymore, but more so, oh my God, this is scary. And this is something that I don't even know myself. How am I going to share this with someone else, let alone yeah. if you have yeah. traumas and everything? And so I see that. And then I remember there was this sister. She had the channel in French and then she stopped, which was which was a, sa- a shame because she explained sexual health so well and she was talking about hopefully this it's the same word in english uh vaginism you know when it's yeah vaginismus like yeah yeah it's not mm-hmm. happening and um i i didn't know about this before coming across her channel and when she was explaining it i thought it made me so sad and may Allah preserve me from this, but it made me so sad to think that some sisters, they're so stressed about this beautiful act mm-hmm. that they it doesn't even work out. And well, obviously this isn't this is something you can work on and, and mm-hmm. it improves over time. But it shows that the whole taboo around this topic can have a can make the start of your marriage pretty difficult because mm-hmm. and it's not obviously to stress anyone but it's just i'm trying to imagine the situation mm-hmm. and i'm i'm guessing the man is going to get excited about this his first night with his wife and there's going to be some sort of not necessarily frustration but like maybe he also going to doubt, doubt himself like maybe she doesn't 
she's not attracted to me. And I'm thinking, this is such a shame that this is how things are started just because we didn't do the work before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so yes. And, and I think we have to be a bit more um, detailed in how we describe that. First of all, vaginismus is not just a result of stress about sex. There's a lot that can cause vaginismus and sometimes it's physical and not just mental, yeah. like both of those components are involved. Second, we have to really emphasize you don't need to have intercourse on the first night of marriage. True. That so is so I, true. So we have to be very careful about allowing couples to talk about what they're comfortable with. And I always say intimacy. I don't say intercourse with couples that I'm working with, like preparing yeah. for, right? I, even in my social media, I'm like sexual intimacy, not sexual intercourse, because intercourse is a part of intimacy. And and so I think it is sad. And I also think we as the Muslim community are actually failing our single yeah. people. I actually don't think it's just the single people's fault. I look at institutions, educational organizations. I look at who has a lot of power and money and resources. And I look at them and say, why are you not giving space to professionals to come and talk about and educate this? So I think part of it is our global Umar responsibility that we're failing our single people um, a lot, actually. But um, yeah, there are, as you said, there are a lot of issues and it's complicated. And so to not make people feel scared about this, I would just say, just focus on asking yourself what you know about sexual health and how much comfort you have with your body, and then start to just increase your knowledge by looking at professionals that you can learn from, just start there. And then inshallah, let the rest follow. But just ask yourself, what do I know? And what do I not know? And what do I need to work yeah, on? This is such a good advice. And thank you for saying that you don't have to be intimate with your partner on the first night of marriage. That's something that I told my mom. I was like, if you're organizing your wedding and you are with your family, you must be so tired. I just want to sleep at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So that's so yeah. right. That's what most couples yeah. do, to be honest. Yeah, it, it, it makes <laughs> yeah. sense. I feel like yeah. it's probably something like cultural, cult, it's like a cultural thing that people would expect from you mm -hmm. that you do that on the first night but if you don't it doesn't mean that your couple is not working or anything uh, no. and that's when I mm -hmm. feel like also communication is so so important like if you are not comfortable talking about this with your partner it's important that you try to work on that as well whether it is from your end on or his because if like from the beginning you have some things that you don't feel comfortable talking about especially on such an important topic then it might impact the rest of your relationship so i feel like that's also an important mm -hmm. thing to keep in mind um so we've been talking about all of this trying to understand things and and really dive into it let's try to now focus on the solutions right because mm -hmm. i feel like that's what everybody mm -hmm. is expecting from this episode like okay yeah. thank you so much but what do i do so mm -hmm. what does islam teach us about managing our sexual our sexual desires when we're single mm -hmm. so when i'm working with muslims on this there's a few things that i recommend that they do um the first is to be a little bit of a detective about your sexual desire So I usually send them like a worksheet and the worksheet just asks them questions about their day-to-day -day life. 
So everything from waking up to going to bed at night, like what is it that you do? Like, you know, the spiritual components, the social, the work, the the relaxation, the family stuff. So I, I tell, ask them, what are you doing with your time? Like, how are you spending it? And even from that activity, if Muslims listening were to do that, you can see where you're unbalanced. You can see where you're spending too much time and what's actually missing, right? So things that really help sexual desire and managing it is definitely movement and exercise because sexual desire is an energy in your body. So if we are exercising and moving and getting outside as much as we're, we need to, that can help balance things out. And it can be a release, right? It can also be a release when your sexual desire goes up. You can exercise and that'll be a good way to get it out. Another thing I ask is what about their past? What have you experienced before? Have you been exposed to any sort of traumatic situations? Where did you learn about sex from? What was the what was your first exposure to sex, right? And oftentimes it's not from a trusted adult who sat down and explained it to you in the way that it should be. And then what do you know about Islam and sexual desire and, and sexual health? So we also look at the past and the knowledge and a lot of our time actually when I'm with clients is educating them and then also addressing trauma because that contributes to where they are today. The other thing we have to think about is the idea of what we said earlier, disciplining your soul. So holding yourself accountable. So thinking about intervening with spiritual practices when you start to feel your sexual desire go up. So I ask Muslims, like, what are your triggers? Let's work on intervening in the moment. And that could be dhikr, it could be istighfar, it could be extra prayers that you're doing, it could be making wudu, it could be reading the Quran, anything. I mean, Allah has given us so much. We can intervene spiritually because there is a shaitani influence. Shaitan doesn't want us to be the good Muslim that we want to be, so he's going to give <laughs> us this sexual desire kick up, right? Um, yeah. And then I also say, well, if you make a mistake, or if you slip up and you act on your sexual desire, give your soul a consequence, right? So think, what am I going to do the next time I slip up? So maybe I will say extra prayers. Maybe I will give more to charity. And maybe I will get up in the middle of the night and do tahajjud. And this is actually from Ghazali's work. So this is not me making this up. Ghazali talks about needing to give some sort of spiritual consequence to tell the soul, hey there, I'm not going to let you do this again. And it's not a punishment. It's a discipline and a purification because Muslims will say, well, that's not right. You're using spiritual practices as a punishment. I'm like, it's not punishment. We have to kind of keep our soul a little bit disciplined, just like you don't want a child to get away with doing something that's not appropriate. We have to also do that as adults. And so thinking about an appropriate discipline and purification. So I think all of that is a summary of a toolbox that Muslims can think about to manage their sexual desire. So be a detective, learn more, rebalance your life, um, deal with the past, educate yourself, and then implement spiritual practices and consequences when you slip up. This is really good advice. One thing that I wanted to add, because that's something that we i feel like we hear mostly but i love how detailed you got you got into your explanation is that 
Um, a lot of people would say, uh, if you really can't handle your sexual desire, desires anymore, just get married. That's something that I hear a lot. Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, you just get married and it's all, it's all good. First of all, it's not that easy to just get mm -hmm. married. Obviously, it depends on yeah. who you want to be yeah. married to. And then the second thing that we hear mm -hmm. a lot is just fast. You know, that's like that's the most common, yeah. Um, yeah. common thing that is advice. And that is a good advice, I would say. Like, if you feel like you tend to really be dependent on pornography, masturbation, any kind of sexual practice before mm -hmm. marriage, then try to implement fast more regularly in your daily life. Mondays, Thursdays, mm -hmm. white days. There are many things that you can mm -hmm. do to try to, yes, as you said, discipline yourself. And um, one thing that I often say on the account is that small steps are better than no steps. And the more consistent you mm -hmm. are with a habit, the with something the more it becomes a habit and i love that you said that it's not punishment to link that with with sp something spiritual i feel like that that is going to become a habit because the more you train your brain to associating that act with something spiritual then you are gonna want to do mm. the spiritual thing and then you're just not gonna think about that problem anymore If it is a problem, because again, one goal with this episode is to tell you that it is normal to feel sexual desires. It's more so mm -hmm. when it's become a kind of an obsession, you know, because that is the case of some people. They don't know how to deal with, with their stress anymore. And so that's when it needs to. I love that you said that there's some sort of imbalance because everything about that, my brand yeah. is about balance. <laughs> so it's like mm -hmm. you need to reintegrate yeah. and yeah. be like, okay, right now I rely more on sexual related things than the Quran, dhikr, everything that brings me closer to Allah. What can I do to change that? And I love that you mentioned all this advice. Thank you so much. Um, so you told me, you told us, I should say, what we can do. Do you have some resources and like maybe books or anything that could help us into understanding our sexual desires and especially from an Islamic mm. perspective? Yeah, I mean, I when I create content, I rely a lot on traditional texts that I've been reading or, you know, when I studied Islamic psychology, like papers that I wrote. Um, so I am incorporating that. Is there a book that I can say or something that I can say, buy this and it'll tell you everything that I just said? No, <laughs> um, I'm working on a book, inshallah, if for to be published inshallah. yeah, in 2025. And this one big chapter is on sexual desire. So inshallah, I'm then, so excited now. yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I am too when I write it. <laughs> um, so I, I think for for people, I, I think I tell people I'll just browse through my social media Instagram account. Yeah. I've done a lot of posts, and um, I I was planning to release a toolkit on sexual desire, but I'm like I need to focus on writing a book, so it's a bit more in depth and researched. Yeah. Um. And so I would say just go through my posts and in the caption, I usually put some references. So I've referenced the Ghazali text quite a bit and some other Islamic psychology books. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say for now in terms of this piece, um, because it is a bit of a newer area yeah. of 
talking about and addressing in this way. So I, I think um, it, it, more resources will be developed, inshallah. Inshallah. I was going to say, the first resource that I have in mind is your account. It is so well mm. explained. And I honestly, every time I read your post, I thought it was so insightful. Sometimes there are things that I already knew, but sometimes I was like, this is so interesting. And it really made me think even more about all of this. Alhamdulillah, honestly, I, I can't complain. I was lucky enough to have a mom that really took time to explain those things to us. And it didn't mean that we were just like talk in details about it, you know, but Alhamdulillah, yeah. I didn't, I've never really grown up with this things of, oh, there's so much taboo and, and I feel guilt about this and that. Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah, but I am aware of that. And I, also remember from the comments in on your page i was like she is doing something that is so much needed for our community and mm -hmm. um so i will put everything in the description of this episode your account the video that you mentioned earlier when you the interview yeah. that you did inshallah and yes. i recently saw a book i don't remember the title but it seemed really interesting and i really wanted to read it that is about this topic i will share it with you as well samira so you can have a mm -hmm. you can have a look mm -hmm. uh, so everything will be in the description of the the episode um the last question that i have for today is uh we talked a lot about the taboo that is sexual health for muslims um how can we as muslimas challenge and overcome the stigmas around this topic Uh, so we can all just really support each other and improve the environment for mm -hmm. sexual health and well-being in, in our ummah. Yeah, inshallah. Um, so there's a verse in the Quran that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, Indeed, Allah will not change the condition of a people until they change what is in themselves. Um, so chapter 13, verse 11, I reference it so much. Because I get this question a Me lot. Too. How can I, how can I change the Ummah? What can I do? And I always tell people, and this is what I have been trying to do, focus on yourself first. We cannot fix yeah. the Ummah when we are coming, um, not whole and complete. So focus on your own sexual health, educate and empower yourself. Your presence will then change people around you, not just the words you say and not just, you know, you educating people. It's your presence as well. So the more you learn about yeah. all parts of what Allah has given you, you're going to show up feeling embodied and also feeling Allah's presence more deeply. And that will naturally affect everyone else. So for me, I don't post on social media that much because I am focused on myself and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think for, for those listening, do the same, focus on yourself. Our soul is what we're accountable for. And then inshallah, if you get there, you can say, how do I want to contribute? And you being in this world, Allah has created you, you're contributing. If you want to do more than you can with your own circle, friends, like you mentioned, family yeah. members, like don't think about the big picture yet, but just think about who's in your life that you can have these informal conversations with. How do you talk to your kids about this topic? How do you talk to your younger siblings with your parents? So just thinking who's in your world that's accessible and then reaching out to them first. I love this pieces of advice. This is something that I often share on the page, on the podcast. It's, I feel like it's so important to not underestimate the power of ourselves as individuals and how it can really have a snowball effect. The 
more you become a light, the more people are going to be inspired to be the same. And, you know, especially on this topic, I feel like the more we educate ourselves, the more we can educate others and then they can educate others as well. And that's how, as an ummah, we become more supportive of each other, more caring and respectful of each other because that mm-hmm. is something, especially when it comes to this topic, that mm-hmm. is really lacking. I know we talked about this the first time, but some people, and you know the, that French YouTuber that I mentioned, she stopped making videos and I'm pretty sure that's because she couldn't handle the pressure of being constantly criticized for talking about sexual health. Yeah, And this is this is so sad and this isn't something normal. This isn't something... Allah approves of so I'm hoping this episode inspires you to as usual take care of yourself educate yourself cherish the body that Allah gave you it's uh, it's honestly a gift sometimes we forget about it but it's truly a gift and yeah thank you so much Samira for this episode it was so interesting and I feel so honored that I got to chat about this with you um I will put all your information in the podcast not yeah in the podcast i was going to say youtube <laughs> in the podcast description inshallah um and yeah i think that's it thank you so much for this channel you're welcome jazakallah khair for having me and and for doing this episode it's really important and i hope many people listen and inshallah Allah puts baraka in the episode and and that it affects people inshallah inshallah i'm yeah. sure it will thank you so much samira you're welcome thank you so much to everyone listen to this episode and salam alaikum everyone take care um. ستعود جميلة تلك الأيام نملوها حبا عطفا وأمان وتعود الأرض لحالها لجمالها